and welcome to this Learning and Development Challenges podcast episode. Adam here is your host, and today I'm joined by Adele Bradley, who is an organizational development manager at a global corporation that's been in the learning and development industry for a few years now. Adele specializes in leadership, talent, and development, executive coaching, culture change initiatives, change management, and coaching programs, and is here to tell us all about a great initiative called A Thinking Environment. Adele, welcome. Hi, Adam. Thank you for having me. No problem. So for those of you who maybe listen to podcasts a lot, Adele was, has been a guest on our other podcast on the Power Skills Project, where she talked about confidence. And if you would like a confidence boost, just going to do a little plug for that podcast. Definitely go and listen to that episode. It is at the moment our most downloaded episode on the Power Skills Project. And I think that's for a reason. So we're very happy to have Adele back and be talking to her again about something different and about something, I guess, a bit more specifically around learning and development this time, which is super exciting. So the thinking environment, this really captured my interest, Adele. What's the backstory here? Tell us about this. So yeah, the thinking environment comes from Nancy Klein's book, Time to Think. And this book was recommended to me by an external coach that was doing some work in our company. And my first reaction was, I haven't got time to read it. (laughs) And the book's called (laughs) Time to Think. And I was like, yeah, I ain't got time to read that book, you know. And then he recommended it again and I kind of dismissed it again. And then he recommended it a third time and I was like, okay, so there's something here I think that I really need to listen or read this book because he keeps talking to me about it. So I got the audible. And I let her do long trips in the car. I was listening to the book and I was literally hooked within the first 30 seconds. I was like, this book is incredible. Why have I not read this before? Why did I keep making excuses? And Nancy, without even realising it, it's taken me on a whole different direction of reading completely different books that I would never normally read. So I'm thankful that I decided to actually get down to listen to it. And it's not something that I would normally read, but this time... I'm glad I did something different and I'm glad I listened to it. Not only did I listen to it three times, I then went and bought the actual book itself and then made notes inside the book. So literally became obsessed. But Nancy Klein, for those that don't know, she's an American and her whole concept of the thinking environment essentially is just giving people space and time to think in a safe environment. Now you probably think, well, that's normal, isn't it? But if you watch or observe any meeting within a corporate organisation, You'll see people interrupting each other. You'll see somebody talking about what they think only for somebody else to just talk about what they think and nobody acknowledges the other person that has spoken. And it's cultural. I see it all the time in quite a lot of organisations and I've seen it in the company that I work for. And one of the things that I've been hearing from a lot of our senior leaders is haven't got time to think, haven't got time to do this, haven't got time to do that. I just haven't got time. And then I read the book. I read about the thinking environment and I made the connection to what we were hearing in work. And I was like, I need to introduce a thinking environment to my organization. Think this will solve quite a lot of our problems, issues or challenges. So I went away and I designed a thinking environment. Now, when I say I designed it, I just designed a few slides to say what it was, where it came from, the rules of the thinking environment, because there are 10 principles that we must adhere to in the thinking environment. Got a video from YouTube that talks about the 10 principles, put some ground rules together that reflect those principles. And essentially it takes me about half an hour to 45 minutes to introduce it at the beginning of a session. And then we go into doing the thinking environment. Yeah, I love it. I'm really interested in the actual delivery here as well, because I like this. And I think, you know, this is going out to people in learning and development and HR who are after ideas and ways to 
implement and embed new projects. So, you know, you've done your intro, you've got your PowerPoint and you've got your kind of video and your 10 principles and everything. How does the session go then? How do you run it? What, what helps get people thinking about how to embed this and how do you kind of work it into the culture? Well, the very first thing I do at the start of any thinking environment session is breathing. Now you might think that's a bit weird, but we do box breath breathing, which is you breathe in for four, you hold it for four, let it out for four, and then so on and so forth. And that is a technique that we need to teach right at the beginning, because when you are in the meeting environment and somebody says something controversial or something you don't agree with, your first reaction is to just jump in there and say you're wrong or you shouldn't say that. We don't interrupt in a thinking environment. So you have to hold your space. So the first thing we do, we open up, we talk about breathing and we get them to practice the breathing technique. And I say, right, when you feel like you really want to interrupt someone or you want to shout out or you want to make your point, just use your breathing. Yeah, so you're giving them the tool basically on how to deal with or how to react in a different way to what would be a natural reaction. So a natural yeah. reaction, jump in like I, like I did there actually. Terrible, <laughs> sorry. I'm already conscious of it. But yeah, by giving them the box breath breathing, you're giving them something to say to fall back on as a, as a way to go, yeah? Absolutely. It's not something that we're used to doing. We're used to just interjecting when we feel like we've got something to say or that person said something we don't like. We very rarely wait for someone to finish speaking before we start talking. And one thing that I've noticed that we do, and I've noticed this myself, and I made myself a promise after reading Nancy Klein's book that I wouldn't do it, is, do you know, when somebody's talking and they're trying to find the word and they're going, oh, do you know, when I did so-and-so and it was, what's the word? What's the word? And you can see they're thinking of it and you jump in and give them the word. Yeah. Do You do that, right? I do. I do it all the time. I thought it was a really nice it, thing to do. Is it not helpful? No. <laughs> because... <laughs> Okay, I'm going to stop it. <laughs> I learned a lesson that it wasn't the word that I was thinking of once. It was something completely different. But what we're doing is we're saying, you can't think quick enough. I've thought quicker for you. My words are more important. I'm going to tell you what you're thinking. Yeah, I've thought about it like that. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at it from a different perspective. Powerful stuff. Yeah, I think so, for sure. And when, she, when I was reading it, the way that Nancy puts it and how she talks about it in a book, you're like, I am never going to do that again. And when I go to do it now, it's a self-awareness piece that I catch myself wanting to do it and I stop myself and I bring it back. Brilliant. Is that part of the, uh, is that one of the things you teach in as part of the course or part of the, uh, part of the session that you're running on these? So the thinking environment has got principles to it. I'm not going to go through them all in here, but they're available on her website if you want to go through it. But it's about appreciating the fact we all think differently and that everybody's got different levels of thinking. So we appreciate the fact that we're all going to think differently in this room. That's principle number one. There's a principle around ease of thinking. So letting people think, but not judging their thinking. Because we can be sat there thinking, I would never think, I would never say that. But you're judging somebody else's thinking. And actually just remaining out of judgment and showing respect to that person and listening to them. One thing I'm really keen on in the thinking environment is people don't roll their eyes. They don't start doodling. They don't start fidgeting in the seat. They don't start huffing and puffing. You know, you know, when somebody's like fed up and they want someone to stop talking, they'll start changing their body language to make it fairly obvious that they want the other person to stop talking. So one of the rules is show attention and be present. You know, don't doodle, don't roll your eyes, don't start fidgeting. We're present and we're in that moment with that person. But number one rule is do not interrupt anybody at any point whatsoever. And if I want to be really gangster, Adam, I'll make them leave the room if they do so. Brilliant. I like it. Introduce a stick to the situation. Well, I've never done that. And I've never actually said that. And I've never been that gangster, right? But 
I, I think when you've laid out the rules, nobody actually interrupt they respect the rules straight away because they want to see what's going to happen so it's usually what you're doing is you get them hooked at the beginning with the breathing techniques you introduce nancy her work in the book and recommend it then you talk about the principles and then you ask them if you want to give it a go so i'm not forcing anyone to do it they're all in that room they can choose to leave if they want to but most people want to be there and they want to do it but i've done it with a few different groups of people and some are really nervous because they've never tried the concept before they don't really know what it is. It's basic format, Adam. It's group or team coaching. But if I called it that, how many people would buy into it? But it's called thinking environment because it gives you space to think. So this is where it, this is the difference with it, right? This is what hooked me. Normally when you're in a meeting room, you go around or everyone's saying their opinion. You're expected to talk straight away, right? So if someone said, Adam, it's your turn. The expectation is you start talking. Yeah. Difference in the thinking environment is you don't actually have to speak if you don't want to. You can just sit there and think. That's the whole concept of the thinking environment is it gives you space and time to think. So how I say is it, when it comes to you and it's your turn, you can take five minutes to just think through your thoughts. You can sit there and mull it through because some people speak to think and some people think to speak. And it's only fair that we give both options, right? So just because you're extroverted and you want to talk out loud and hear your thoughts doesn't mean that the introverted people are not doing that internally. So we're fair to both extroverted and introverted personalities. So when it comes to your turn, you can sit and you can think or you can talk, whatever you pre- your, suits your preference. And then when you're done, and only when you are absolutely done, because there's no pressure on you to be done, you say, I'm done, or you tap the table. And then it moves on to the next person. And it's fascinating to see. Because some people will speak to think and they'll just ramble. And some people will go really quiet. They're doing it internally. Yeah, I'm definitely in the in the camp that speaks my thoughts. And that's how I process what I'm thinking a lot of the time. Uh, to the extent that I catch myself talking to myself in the car. Yeah, that's a really good point. And so so the this program puts in place or this methodology puts in place the structure, A, to accommodate both introverts and extroverts. but be really to give people the space to think properly without just being reactive. Absolutely. And it's really interesting because come on to how you ask the question or the subjects or the challenge, but you'll go around once and then on the second time around that everybody's heard what everybody has to say. So they might have changed their thought process or changed the way that they think about it. So then when we go around a second time, it changes the energy and the vibration of the group because they're like, well, someone also said that over there and it got me thinking and they said that because everybody's listening to each other. No one's, everybody knows that they're going to be heard. And that's the most important thing. So they're not trying to elbow their way in or interrupt or ram their thoughts down someone's neck because everyone's at peace and they're calm because they all know they're going to be heard and twice to go around twice. So they have that real space and that time while they're listening to others when it comes to them to go, yeah, what do I actually think about this? Okay, I'm going to take a couple of minutes to gather my thoughts and then I'm going to say what I think. But most of us live in the meeting environment that if I go quiet, someone else is just going to start talking and I'm going to lose what I had to say. So you are protected. You can relax. I take care of the timings. There's nothing to worry about in that respect. And so when people feel secure in a room, we've created a safe environment and it's secure and they know that they're not going to be interrupted and they know that they're going to have their space to think and space to speak, it creates a whole different energy in the room. 
And have you now started implementing and using this across the organization? Are there kind of good examples you can point to where everyone has been heard who maybe wouldn't have normally been heard and maybe a different outcome has or a new idea or something like that has come up that wouldn't have been voiced using the traditional method? Yeah, I've had some amazing results. And one that I want to share with you is the first example. When I asked a senior stakeholder if he'd pilot it in his team, just this pre-concept. Because I didn't know, if, I'd never done it before. I'd never done a thinking. I'd read a book that had inspired me. And I was like, well, I need to prove concept, right? Yeah. So I asked the sales director if I could do it with his sales team. And he went, yeah, we've been kicking around the sales commission for about four months now and we haven't got anywhere with it. So that'd be a really good subject for us to try. And it, it within four hours, we'd reach a conclusion and got a resolution of what we were doing with the sales commission. Because everyone could listen, hear what everybody had to say, draw their own conclusions. Decide nobody was trying to talk over anyone. No one ram- trying to ram anything down anybody's necks. They all heard it. They all got it. And they all reached a conclusion. And I was sat in the corner going, yay, I'm so happy it worked. <laughs> and everybody had a voice, I guess. I think that's yeah. the most important thing. If you're, and I'm very conscious to try and not do this, but as someone who runs a company and is maybe a bit more extroverted than some of the other people in the company, to not be that dominant voice on our kind of company-wide or group calls. It's really difficult. It's something I am conscious of. I'm probably going to read this book now that you've mentioned it. But yeah, it doesn't sound like it. But it's definitely making sure that everybody feels heard. And I guess the you know, the outcome of that is, well, is what's the feedback you got from people that have been in those meetings? And what are they saying? A, they're getting to an outcome, which is amazing. B, are they feeling more heard? Are they feeling more part of the conversation? Yeah. I mean, it's been nothing but positive feedback, if I'm honest, Adam. It's a concept that they've taken to some of their team meetings rather than just, you know, shouting stuff out and going and saying, oh, what do you think to this? And just waiting for the loud ones to speak up. It's a concept that they've taken. I think one of the biggest things that I saw is I did it with a very senior leadership team in the company that something quite wasn't quite gelling with them as a senior leadership team and they couldn't really figure out the root cause of it. And they all walked in that day, very nervous, filled full of trepidation, worried about what was going to happen. And all I could say was trust the process, you know, trust the process. Well, let's go with it. So I had told, how many senior leaders there? I had about nine or 10 senior leaders around the room. I introduced the thinking environment and then we put the subject on the table. And it was really interesting because the senior leadership team was all under the assumption everybody thought one way. But the thinking environment proved that everybody thought was it of what everybody assumed that they thought. But nobody had ever had the time to sit down and have that conversation because they were all too busy running around just doing rather than looking at the bigger picture. And at the end of doing that thinking environment, I think one of them immediately rang my boss up to say that was just life changing, that was transformational. And what they now do as a senior leadership team is they adopt the thinking environment in every single meeting that they do because they know it works and they have a lot of introverted behaviours as well and they've got a few extroverts, but it helps everyone be heard and everyone be seen. And the response, I mean, it was phenomenal. They just said, I've never seen anything like this before. It's a game changer. I don't understand why anybody's, everybody isn't doing this inside of organisations. When you look at it, you see how many bad habits we've picked up on what we do in meetings. Also how we conduct ourselves with our friends and our families. And so they now have adopted that as a way of working and a methodology in the workplace. And you need everybody bought into it as well. I'm just thinking there, because if you are doing it, but the other three people in your meeting aren't, then 
you're going to sit there and say nothing, basically, aren't you? Because you're going to be thinking, but not communicating or won't have the space to communicate. So it does need, you do need buy-in from everyone around the table in that case. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've started doing is introducing it into my language. So when I'm facilitating a meeting, I'll say, right, we're going to do a thinking environment style. Does everybody know what that is? And I don't go into like the full 45 minute presentation, but what I say is that I will go around the room. Everybody's heard. Please don't interrupt while people speak. And what I'm doing by that is I'm planting seeds everywhere I go. Like I'm calling it a name. I'm helping them associate what that means. Because we're a huge company, right? I'd say the masses of people that work in our company, we've only touched a few percentage with this. But it's slowly, you know, catch a monkey. The culture change never comes that fast. But we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, I think it's a different concept that people aren't used to. But again, like I said, it's like an iPhone. They don't know that they know it until they've got it. Yeah, I didn't know I needed this until I had it. And then all of a sudden, how on earth do I live without all these apps yeah. and <laughs> constant communication? But it is a, it's a slow burner. So I've started doing that. I've started changing my language. I've started suggesting to people rather than having a meeting, we have a thinking environment and we do things differently. And I think. The more people that try it, the better results they get, the more they'll embed that as a culture. And I'm not too worried about it embedding ASAP. I'd rather people experience it, experience it done well. So like with somebody who's read the book, I like anyone, any of my stakeholders who do this with me, I encourage them to read the book and co-host it with me because I want them to educate themselves. And that's another little tactic of mine, how I influence people is I say, it's a really good idea, kind of pilot in your area. But also, if you're going to do it, you need to read the book. So, and it works. I've done one already this year for a very large organisation within our business. And it was completely different because we've got a corporate side to our business and operations side. And it's the first time I'd ever done it in operations. And they don't really like being sat down for too long. So I was interested in how that would work out as well. And I'm learning from everyone that I do on what it means for different areas and different teams and who it would resonate with better and who's not so keen on it and why that is. So it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Yeah, sounds it. There's a few really good outcomes of that I'm coming up with. And I, you mentioned kind of everybody thinking that the company was the view on the company was one way, but actually it was the other way. And that group thing is such an issue in a lot of meetings. And it's normally the loudest voices or biggest opinions get heard. And so this is a really smart way of eliminating groupthink and actually, I guess, moving towards something a lot more. Yeah, a lot, it's a lot more kind of thought through rather than led by the loud few. Well, if you went to a meeting, Adam, right, and you were trying to pitch an idea or say something that you really believed in, and somebody just kept talking over you or ramming down somebody else's throat what they wanted to do. You get to the point where you just think, what's the point? Then you get disillusioned, maybe disengaged, maybe fed up. You start looking for another job because you're just like, well, no one listens to me. I can't get anyone to listen to me. I don't, you know, what's the point? But this turns that concept on its head and says, we want to hear what you have to say. Not necessarily do anything with it, but just to show somebody that they're heard is a completely different concept to talking over someone, interrupting someone, not showing someone that they've been heard. And it makes a massive difference to someone's engagement, how they feel about working for the company, if they feel like they've been heard and valued and seen, even if they don't take the idea forward, you feel like everyone's heard it when they've pitched it. And you know you've been in meetings when people are scribbling on a pad or checking the phone or typing on the laptop and they're not listening to a word of it. Re-eliminate all of that. I don't allow any laptops, any phones. You can have a pad and pen to make notes on something somebody said to go back to. But you take away all those distractions. You have to be present and you have to listen. And that means full attention and being in the room 
And they're the rules of the thinking environment, right? Love that, getting rid of the digital. Because there's always going to be someone with their notifications on. Even if you say, turn your phone on silent, you know, something will be flashing up, won't it? It's, I make them turn the phones over. Oh, I, say really? the, I say those exact words to them, Adam. I say, yeah. if a notification flashes up on your phone, you will start reading it. You'll start thinking about it. We've lost you in the thinking environment. So turn your phone over. I mean, I feel like I should get a box and make them everybody put me in a box. Like Proper school teacher. Love it. Yeah, I've got to trust that they're adults, but I make them turn their phones over, shut their laptops down, and they're not allowed to look or engage in any tech while they're in the room. Yeah, no, that's a really strong advice just for any meeting, if, whether even if you're not implementing the thinking environment just yet, just, you know, turn your tech off and you're going to be more present. This podcast is brought to you by AssembleU, the audio learning specialists. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. My cousin Rich and I started AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with formal outcome-driven learning that had real impact. The result is a power skills library that helps coach and guide listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Each AssembleU audio lesson is succinct and backed by research and real-life experience. They all include additional learning aids, including downloadable keypoint infographics, further reading lists, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your bespoke audio requirements by visiting assembleu.com. One thing I usually say, this is to all L&D professionals who need a hint or a tip about somebody being in the room. I say to people, sometimes when you come into a meeting or a training space, you've got one foot in the door and one foot outside the door. And what I mean by that is you kind of want to learn, but You've got 50 emails and five phone calls to return and loads of stuff to do in your calendar. So I'm 50% thinking about that and 50% is kind of present in the room. And then Adele starts talking and then you go, oh, I didn't do this in my project. And you're not really present. Your body is physically there, but your mind is not. And so what I do is I invite people to get that other foot, bring it through the door and be present because at the end of the day, you're going to waste your valuable time if you're not 100% present. You're not going to get anything out of the day. It's going to be a waste of your day. You either go outside and do your emails and do your phone calls and get on with that, or you choose to bring all of yourself into this room, forget about that stuff and be present and being in the room. Because if you have 50%, what are you going to get out of the day? You know? Yeah. And what are you going to contribute as well? If you're trying to make big decisions in the meeting, you know, is your mind going to be on the topic in the right way or is it? Is your kind of cognitive load split between the other 10 tasks on your to-do list for that day that you need to, that you need to kind of urgently get to? And uh, so them, I don't think it's anybody's fault. I think it's the way we've been conditioned with work. Do this, yeah. write that, get this done, this needs done. We're so used to jumping from so many things that we just then take that mentality wherever we go. And if you think about being present, and I'm going to give you an example. If you're out on a walk and you're walking down the street in nature, more than likely, two things are happening. You're thinking about the past or you're thinking about the future. So you'd be out on your walk thinking, I should have done that last week and I shouldn't have said that and this happened last week and that happened last week. Or you'll be on your walk thinking, I need to do this. I should do that. I've got to do this. And you're never really present in your walk. And you should be on your walk thinking about what you can see, what you can smell, what you can hear, what the wind feels like on you and just yeah. enjoying that moment 
but none of us ever do because we're so consumed with either what we have done or what we should be doing. We don't ever live our lives right there in the moment being present. And it's so important because that is where the magic happens because the only moment we have is right now, Adam. It's right now, this moment that we've got because time is linear, right? We love to put clocks around it, but time is linear. The only moment that we're living in is this moment right now because I could get up and fall down dead right this second. You know, like you could go out and get run over by a bus or whatever could happen. The only moment that you've got is right now. And so why do you want to waste that moment thinking about either the past or thinking about the future when you can just be present? And it's yeah, a concept that's lost because we're so ingrained on it to run around like blue ass flies. Yeah, yeah. Things that has been, things that might be inconsequential, really, in comparison to, to you know, what's happening right now. Yeah. Love it. I feel like we're getting quite deep there. So hilariously, like one of the things, I mean, just to share some personal experience, one of the things that I do, I, I play tennis and the reason I love tennis, I always played when I was younger, but I play quite a lot now. It's probably the only thing I do that takes my mind completely off the past and the future and focuses me on the there and now. So determined to hit the ball in the right way and get it in and I'm thinking about I'm thinking about you know where exactly I'm going to put it on the court and trying to keep the score and everything it makes me instantly incredibly present and that's yeah that's why I like it so much and I, I feel you know finish a tennis session and I spend the next hour not thinking about the past or the future because you've been present for however long all of a sudden you've kind of tricked your mind into being it's being present, which is great. And one of the, yeah, for me, it's, that's my kind of mindfulness, if you like. That's my meditation is, is doing something like that, where I can focus on something that's important right now. And that's it. How does that make you feel when you recognize that you're truly present? Oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. And then I always feel disappointed afterwards when I start thinking about, oh, I haven't done that task. I need to do this tomorrow. <laughs> I need to put that contract together. I need to, you know, put a proposal in or whatever it is. I'm working on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great. And, but for that, I guess the kind of the time that you are present, yeah, you just, that's all you're, all you're thinking about is, is that moment, which is wonderful. It, I kind of, for me, it's a bit like being a kid again. Do you know what I mean? You're not too worried about the future or the past. It's just like, what am I doing right now? You know, I'm hungry or I want to play or I want to do it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's uh, all of us adults could learn a bit, the younger ones in society and be a bit more, be a bit more in the moment like that yeah a bit more in the moment and the thing is i've had people say to me well what if i need to like think about the past or plan for the future and it's like put the time in your diary to or actively reflect on the past or allocate some time to do your actions for the future but don't let it become all consuming that you can't ever enjoy just being in that moment so what i'm saying is if you want to plan for head and because i'm renovating adam i've got bricklayers and sparkies and plumbers and all sorts of people to organize but i allocate myself a time to go right what do i need to do who do i need to call when do i need to do it when am i going to do that and then i give myself a section of it and i also make an effort to do reflective time now if i choose to go out and walk and that walk is my reflection time so be it that's what i've chosen to do but i've actually contracted with myself that's what i'm going to do yeah. and i've allowed that space and that time but if you are constantly consumed 24 seven and you are never present, then you lose that exactly what you were talking about. Just being in the moment and being where you need to be rather than consumed with all that other noise. Yeah. Big time. 
Brilliant. We're, I want to keep us on track and talking about, although this is... Well, forget. No, <laughs> we always do this. We go down rabbit holes. Very interesting rabbit holes, but yeah, rabbit holes nonetheless. So bringing it back to, I guess, learning and development and implementing something like this within, a, within an organization, what kind of hurdles have you come up against when actually putting this into practice? So have you had any pushback or have certain things been difficult? Some people not got it. What have you had to troubleshoot on this? I'm going to be honest with you. Nothing. Oh, that's good. I think because of how I talk about it and how I sell it, and it's not called a coach, team coach, you know, group coach, and it's called thinking environment. People are naturally curious as to what that is. And I have to say, you have to trust me, to put your faith in me, and we'll see how it goes. And the, the stakeholder, whoever I'm dealing with, they're interested to know. And I usually take them through the slides and the concepts and encourage them to read the book. But then I talk about, like, I'd never done it before. I piloted it with that sales team and got that result. And as a result of that, one of the sales team asked me to come and do another one. And as a result of that, somebody asked me to come and do another one. And as a result of that, somebody asked me. So it just kind of word of mouth. When I talked about the senior leadership team that I introduced it to, they had no reference to draw on because they hadn't been in one. Um, and that's why I think there was a lot of nervous and trepidation around it. But they saw how positive the outcome was and the results that they got. They said that we're going to adopt it as a new way of working. So one of the things that I do is when I am scoping out work, for stakeholders and really look at kind of how they communicate as a team and is it an option that I'll put in there as part of the offering or will I introduce it later so there is always method to my madness I'm always observing how people are working and what they're doing and how certain things can fit in where and I think because we've got such a good reputation within the company and we're seen as the experts people trust us and that trust has taken a while to build and that's through producing quality work and keeping your standards high and delivering on your promises. And we'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But yeah, I've not really touched wood that many. People tend to trust me, so they go with it. I guess the other thing is as well, in terms of like impact with an exercise like this, you introduce it, you cover a topic and it's clearly an immediate impact or positive effect. So. It's not, a, it's not an enormous sell, as soon, it's providing you get people in the room and they'll listen very quickly, they'll feel the impact of it. And so yep. that, that's, I guess, where you get your buying quite quickly. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it is literally trust the process. And if I've ever seen it, like just go with it, come with an open mind, trust the process, see what happens. And um, yeah, and to be honest, the impact that it has, like I said, being feel people have felt they've been heard and it's a safe space and they know that they're not going to be interrupted and they can have their time to think and their time to speak. It's a game changer. It really is. I think if it was up to me, Adam, and I had my own company, this would be how we would work in any meeting. Just because, obviously, meetings for certain reasons, you know, you can go around a bit quicker if you've got a high level meeting. But if you really have got a subject you want to debate and discuss, really get into it, that's a perfect environment for it. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, I love all that. I feel very inspired. And yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking up time to think and great plug for audio at the beginning, by the way. I love that you listen to the audio book first because of because of time. And that's exactly probably what I'll end up doing. I'll I've got some audible credits. I may well may well may well get that book with one of those. I've got a few long drives coming up actually. So that that's perfect. I'll get it locked in for that. Will you let me know what you think? Yes, definitely. 
Kosovo. Kosovo. Oh. So fi- final question. This is one we're asking everybody who we speak to in learning and development. If you were starting in a new company where learning engagement was low and learning culture was poor, what would you do? What would you look at? How would you try and solve that? I love this question because I was thinking about what would I do? And the first thing I'd do is, you know, why? If, if that's the question, right? Why is engagement low? Why is learning culture low? So one of the things I always do to find out why that's happening is a diagnostic. And essentially a diagnostic is talking to people, focus group, one-to-ones, surveys, you know, what's going on. I'd ask some key questions like, how do people want to learn? And what do they actually want to learn about? And what platform or methodology would they like? Understanding what would work for them. Because if you don't ask people what's going on and you just go in and design something and try to give them it, it's going to fall flat on the face. If people feel like they've got some kind of connection and they've contributed to it, they're more likely to buy into it. So first thing I'd do is for full diagnostics, understand what's going on and why. Then off the back of that, I'd probably create a little bit of a learning strategy. So what do we want to do? How quickly do we want to do it? What's our vision? What's our end goal? What are we trying to achieve? What does that look like? And what are the steps to get us there? I'd build a solution for the intervention, but the solution has to be high quality. It's got to have a real impact. It's got to leave people with that. I really enjoyed that. I got a lot out of it and I want to do it again because that's where your learning culture starts. I want want more. and They get a hunger for it. And it's got to be consistent. So if you're going to do a learning culture and you are going to do the diagnostics, create the intervention, you can't just create one intervention and go, right, you've had a bit of training, have a nice load. So if the strategy is two years or it's six years, how can you show your consistency? If someone's come to an intervention, they've had a really great time, what's next for them? Have you thought about that? How are you going to offer them after that intervention? How are you going to support them? How are you going to show them how it gets embedded? What platforms are you going to use? What works for them? Are they on shift patterns? Like, do you need people in a room? Do you need that? You need to do it virtually? Do you need to go on site and walk and talk with them? Like, what are we doing? Are we fitting it to what we want to do as L and D professionals? Are we actually fitting it to the needs of the company? And a lot of L and D professionals just go, "Well, I'm just going to design. It's going to be nine to five in a classroom. We'll do it for two days. Well, that's not going to work in our organisation." We need to actually do what the customer wants to do that works for them in an environment for them where they can get the most out of it. So that would be really important. And then I think it's really important that you have high standards. So if you have got a learning development team and they're inconsistent in their behaviours and how they teach and what they do, then you're going to have inconsistent results. So you need a standardised expectations of quality of your L&D team of how are you going to do so a framework to work around really for your staff? Because if you want anyone from the company to engage with L&D, they get the same experience no matter who they talk to. And that creates that trust and that builds up that consistency and the quality and the standards and the intervention. Um, and then what I always say is, if you're not sure, pilot it. So go out to a group of people and be like, want to pilot something? Are you interested? Do you want to get involved? Because there's, it's like a, there's no obligation. You can buy it, but you, you know, you don't have to. If you don't like it, you can give it back. There's no drama around it. So yeah. Kind of get them engaged in doing it that way by doing a pilot and asking them their thoughts on the back of the pilot. Um, you love a pilot. We've seen a, yeah, we found they've been really effective in exactly the same things you've been talking about, just getting buy-in. Or in some cases, you know, being very honest, we've had a few that where it's just not been the right fit for that organization. And so, but we've been covered that in a pilot, like you say, before you kind of pay for something and roll it out. So yeah, great. It's a great way to test if it's going to be a success or not. And that's what I did with another intervention that I brought in. It's what I did with Nancy Klein's thinking environment. It's what I did with something else that I brought in. And all three were really successful, but that's because I think I understand the business really well and what the business needs to be to work. 
But my last point on that, building that low engagement, that learning culture is to create champions, subject matter experts, SMEs, or ambassadors. So, for example, you might go to one business area and go looking for someone to come and like work on the L&D team for a bit and to get upskilled in this and to be a real subject expert. And, you know, you can have a link in, exclusive rights to this, do that, whatever it is, however you want to sell it. And they say, yes, so they do it as part of their day job, but they're championing it all the time or being an ambassador for it or become the SME for it. And they're like, it's a little bit of extra responsibility on their CV and they look good and they're getting a wider context as well. It's helping people's development plans because somebody might be interested in learning development, but there's no jobs in there. They can try it, do it that way. And that's where you start to build your learning culture and you get your disciples or your ambassadors or your champions, whatever you want to call them. And they begin to grow and you get others. So yeah, that, that's my strategy. That's what I do, Adam. So I really like the grassroots thing as well, the ambassadors and getting people bought in at every level of the company. I think that's so important, especially if you're in a big organization that's maybe quite siloed. It's a great way of breaking down those silos or getting across those silos and getting genuine buy-in from those different business areas instead of it being, oh God, L&D have told us to do this again. Like, let's all ignore them type thing, which, which, you know, I think we've all seen happen a few times. We're doing it at the minute, actually. We've gone out and we've got 60 ambassadors and they're from all different areas across all over the business and we're training them, we're developing them. They're doing it alongside their job, but they know that it's going to be impactful and worth it and they've been supported by their managers. And I just think, I feel like, like we've just got this amazing group of people who are molding and shaping to go out and really represent something in the company. I just think it's awesome. It's a great way to connect with people because if I came into your organization or your business area, but oh, Adele from uh, you know, ODs here to tell us what to do, whatever. But if I worked with you day in, day out, and you know me and you trust me, you'd be like, oh, I've been working on this thing and I've got this idea and shall we try it? But, oh, I know Adam. Yeah, he's cool. I want to see him every day. Yeah, I like him. You know, rather than some stranger coming from head office, you've got someone who works there. So yeah, it's definitely a good concept. Absolutely brilliant. We've got some brilliant content there and lots of really thought-provoking stuff to to share. And I think this is going to be a, an excellent episode as part of our learning and development series. So thank you so much for joining me. If people want to connect with you, where's the, uh, where's the place to go? Where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Come and connect with me. Come and hang out and have a chat. I love a chinwag. Brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's all for today, everybody. And yeah, we'll be back soon with a, another learning and development featured focused challenges podcast episode. Bye, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye.